Good evening, everyone. We're continuing the Talmud series. Uh, I believe it's number 46. And uh, last week, we finished uh, the subject of tzedakah, charity. We had Masechet Baba Batra. And the last thing we did last week is the story of Binyamin that was in charge of a charity fund. And a woman came to him in a year of starvation and begged him to give her some money from the fund. And he said that it's empty, there's nothing left. And he ended up giving her from his own money. And then one day when he was supposed to die, he was still young, the angels came in front of God and say, you promised that if someone saved one soul, it counts like he saved the entire world. And Binyamin survived this woman with her seven sons. He's going to die young. Where is the justice? And Hashem justified their claims and add 24 years to their life. 24 years. So that was, that was it. Now uh, we are continuing in Masechet Baba Batra. Now the Gemara begins to explain who wrote what. We have 24 books in the Torah, 24 books in the Tanakh, what we call the Tanakh. Uh, all the way from Genesis to Shir Hashirim. And this is what it says, Moshe Katav Sifro. Moshe wrote the Torah, the five book of Moses. That's the name of it, no? Uparashat Bil'am Ve'yov. The story of Bil'am and the story of Yov. That's Moshe Rabenu. Joshua, Yoshua, he wrote the book of Joshua and the last eight verses of the Torah, the death of Moshe, he wrote. There's an argument about it. There's one opinion that that's what he wrote. Yoshua wrote the last eight verses. And one opinion is that Moshe was writing it with tears. Either way, it was the last day of his life. So this is Joshua. Shmuel, Samuel, the prophet, he wrote his book, Samuel. We divided it to Samuel 1, Samuel 2. But it's really one book. It was divided to two. Uh, so he wrote that book, which described uh, about King Saul and King David for a large period of time. And uh, also he wrote the book of Judges, Judges, and Ruth. Ruth, the legendary converts, the grandmother of King David. And uh, King David wrote the book of Tehillim, Psalms, but it wasn't all by him. There's 150 chapters. Most of it is him, but it was also written by Adam. Adam wrote Mizmor Shir Leom HaShabbat. We say it in Mincha on Shabbat. And Mizmor Shir Leom HaShabbat, Adam wrote. And then Malki Tzedek, Avraham Avinu, Moshe Rabenu, Heyman, uh, Yedutun, Asaf, the three sons of Korach, all together, and of course Shlomo Amelech, they wrote Psalms, Tehillim, but most of it, like I said, David Amelech. Jeremiah, Irmia, he wrote his book, the book of Jeremiah and the book of kings, the kings. 
and the keynote, the morning of uh, the destruction of the temple, he wrote, because he was in the time that they destroyed the temple. So he wrote many of the songs of the, of the, of the sad uh, keynote. How do you say keynote in English? The sad songs that we read in Tisha B'Av, and some of it, this is the Irmiya. Chizkiyahu, the King Chizkiyahu and his yeshiva wrote the book of Yeshaya, the book of Isaiah, they wrote. The prophet Isaiah lived in his time and married his daughter. After Hashem said to him, uh, get ready to die, because he never married a woman. And he say, I, I don't get married because I see in my vision that I'm going to have a wicked son, Menashe. Who wants to have a son like this that put idols and get God angry? So I'd rather stay single for the rest of my life than get married. So Hashem said to Prophet Yeshaya, go and tell him that he has to die because he didn't keep the first mitzvah in Judaism. Then in the end, Hashem gave him another chance and he had 15 years to his life. And he ended up marrying the daughter of Yeshaya, Isaiah, the prophet. And he had a son, Menashe. The end of his life, he became religious, Menashe. But most of his life, he was one of the worst kings in history. And not only that, when, the, when, his, grandfather, when his grandfather, the prophet Isaiah, Ishaya, he told him that his end would be bitter. He searched for him all over and found him hiding inside the tree. He digged the inside of the tree. He was hiding inside the tree, and he sliced him to pieces. The prophet Ishaya, he sliced him to pieces and killed him. And this was, this was the, the same generation of King Hizkiyahu. Hizkiyahu was the father of this Menashe, and him and his yeshiva wrote the prophecies of the prophet Yeshaya. Then the book of Mishlei, Shira, Shirim, and Kohelet, it's all King Solomon. Uh, Mishlei, Shira, Shirim, and Kohelet. But the truth is, it was said by King Solomon, but was written by the yeshiva of Hizkiyahu. Hizkiyahu and his yeshiva. So look, look, pay attention. Hizkiyahu, he wrote the book of Isaiah, a book of Yeshaya, and Mishlei, and Shira Shirim, and Kohelet, four books, him and his yeshiva wrote. Now, we have to remember that King Solomon lived a few hundred years before King Hizkiyahu, about 400 years earlier. So which means, based on that, it was written, all the wisdom of King Solomon was written approximately 400 years after his death. Most people think that King Solomon literally wrote his books. But the Gemara say no. King Hizkiyahu and his yeshiva, all his yeshiva, the rabbis that was by his yeshiva, they wrote it together. Everyone had the parts, they put it together and they wrote it. Then Anshea Knesset Agdola, the Knesset of the 120 chief rabbis, and some of them were prophets, they wrote the book of Yechezkel, Ezekiel, Treasar, the book of the 12 prophets, 12 dozen prophets, also the book of Daniel, and Megillat Esther. The Megillah we read in Purim, Megillat Esther. So, Anshea Knesset Agdola wrote it. So, basically, there was after the story of Purim, Mordechai and Esther, everyone died, 
and only later they wrote the Megillah. Ezra, Ezra Sofer, Ezra wrote his book, the book of Ezra, and the Divrei Ayamim, how do you say Divrei Ayamim in English? The, the, the history of the days. Uh, it's very hard for me to know how to translate all these words. But you know, in the Tanakh, you have in Hebrew, Divrei Ayamim, he wrote that. And uh, so basically now we know some of these famous books that we have in the Tanakh, who wrote what. Then the Gemara says, Amar Mar, Yoshua katav sifro ushmona psukim sheba Torah. Joshua wrote his book and the last eight verses of the Torah. Uh, as, as the Mishnah said, the Tanya, Vayamot Sham Moshe, Eved Hashem, and Moses, the, the servant of Hashem, died there. And the Gemara say, how can it be Moshe died and he wrote about his death? So what does it mean? That he wrote about it before he died? How does a person write that he's going to die before it really happened? Or after he died, for sure he cannot write. So who wrote it? So one option is Yoshua wrote it, because he took his place. He was the leader. He handed him the Torah. The Torah is missing one, eight more verses in the end. So one opinion, Yoshua wrote it. Then the, the Gemara say, up to here Moshe wrote, from here on Yoshua continue. Then Rabbi Shimon says, uh, impossible. It cannot be that Yoshua wrote it, because the Torah says that Moshe Rabbeinu gave the nation 13 Sifret Torah, 13 books, one to each tribe, and one he left inside the coffin as an example of the original text. At, if a Sefer Torah is missing one letter, it's not kosher. What's the point of giving it to the tribes if it's missing eight verses? Cannot be. One little tiny yud you're missing from the Torah, the Torah lost his holiness. So what's the point? So the conclusion that Moshe was writing the last eight verses of the Torah with tears. Hashem is telling him what to write. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Omer, Hashem is speaking, and Moshe Kotev, Moshe is writing, and up to now, Hashem is speaking, Moshe repeats and writes. Hashem says, Vayomer Hashem el Moshe, and Moshe says, Vayomer Hashem el Moshe, he writes. From now on, Hashem say, Moshe repeats, Moshe writes, and Moshe cries, Bedema, with tears. Right? He sees end. Why is he crying? Everyone dies in the end, and he's going to heaven, so what are you crying? He had a dream to enter the land, and he didn't. So now it's official. Up to now, Hashem told you, you don't go. But Hashem can see you made tshuva and change it. But once you wrote it inside the Torah, you can never change ever the Torah. So while he was writing it, you know, that's a sealed. That's it. Up to now, when Hashem didn't tell me yet to write, I had a chance to, get so, to survive, you know, to, to go into the land. Maybe Hashem will say, okay, you did this, I'll give you another chance. Now, and he told me to write, Vayamot Moshe, and Moshe died, finished. That's the arguments about the end of the Torah, how it was written. Then the Gemara continues, seven prophets, the Goim had. The Goim, 
Most of the prophets were all Jews, but there were some prophets to the Goyim. Why Hashem bothered giving the Goyim prophets? They're not the chosen nation. They're not as important as the Jewish nation. So why Hashem gave them prophets? Why is wasting his time? That they don't have any excuse to say, of course, you gave everything to the Jews, to your nation, you gave us nothing. That's why he gave them prophets. Who are the prophets that he gave them? Famous man, Bilam. Bilam in the time of Moshe. Jews have Moshe, they have Bilam. Bilam, he knows things about Hashem that no other person knows. It's not that, you know, even though he's a very impure, wicked person, very greedy, very parutz, very not modest, horrible things about him, but still Hashem gave him power that the Goim will see that's an important person. That's why Bala came and begged him, cursed the nation of Israel, will give you money, will make you important, whatever. So obviously it was a figure. His father also was a prophet, Bilam ben Beor, his father was also an important person. Then Eov, Eov in English, Job, Job, right? He was also one of the non-Jewish prophets. But unlike Bilam and his father, he was a righteous Gentile, very righteous man. Plus, you know, Hashem sent the Satan to test him. He failed his test, because he was complaining. Soon we'll see what the Gemara has to say about it. But from a very wealthy, successful, lucky guy, he became the most miserable person ever lived. Like, he suffered tremendous sufferings. Children died, lost his wealth, sicknesses, all kinds of things. This is Eov. Then Eliphaz Atemani. Eliphaz Atemani. Uh, it's, a, it's a question if it's from Yaman, from the country called Yaman, Temani, or Timni, from a place called Timna. One way or the other was a Goy. Beldad Ashuchi, as another person, Goy, Beldad Ashuchi was also a prophet. Tsofar Anaamati. I know these names is like Chinese to you, but you find them somewhere in the Tanakh. And uh, it was also a goy. Elihu ben Brachel Habuzi. Right? Elihu ben Brachel Habuzi. Right? Now the Gemara has a, has a doubt if it was a Jew or a goy. Why? Because we also have Yechezkel ben Buzi. It's a Jew. Ezekiel, the prophet. What is this buzi? So the Gemara says, You name him as one of the going prophets? He should be a Jew. It's with a question mark. We know that he was from the family of Ram. Ram is a Jewish family. But he was used as a prophet for the goyim, for the idols. Rasha, wicked. What is it like? You take a Jew and he goes to, uh, to be a missionary. The, the top names in, uh, Christian, by the Christian missionaries are Jews. <laughs> it's not something new. There was always traders that betrayed God and his nation. So he was one of them. He went and made all kinds of prophecy to the Goim, became the representative. Right? The Gemara said, wait a minute. But all the other prophets 
when they gave the prophecy was for the entire world. So the Goyim also benefits from these prophecies of Ezekiel, Isaiah, Moshe. This is all prophets. The Goyim learns it. The Goyim knows about it. The Goyim admires them. And the Goyim learned what they say. So what's the difference between this Brachel to all the other prophets? So the Gemara says, Ani ikar nevuatayu kochavim. There's a difference that when you come and you say the prophecy to the nation of Israel, and by the way, the Goim also benefits from that, or that you dedicate all your prophecies for the Goim, right? Like Yonah, Yonah the prophet, right? Yonah was a prophet. Yonah was sent by Hashem to the city of Nineveh, the Goim, to tell them you have 40 days to make tshuva, to repent before God will destroy you. Yonah was a prophet also to the Goim. But Hashem nominated him to say prophecies to the Gentiles. So, the Gemara said, There was a very righteous man among the Gentiles. Eov Shmo, his name is Eov. Eov lived very long life. He also was one of the three advisors that Paro had. We know from the Gemara that Paro, before he wanted to kill the Jewish babies, he took advice with the three people, Itro, Eov, and Bilam. Bilam, of course, told him, very good, kill the kids, it's a threat. And uh, Eov ran away. He didn't protect them, but he didn't support it. And then all the suffering came to him. And Itro told him, no, how can you do such a thing? So he got the Mary to convert, and his daughter married Moshe Rabbeinu. So the one who protected the Jews got very lucky. He became the most important person. Mary, imagine marrying the daughter of the most important Jew in the world, the leader, the, the chief rabbi of the Jewish nation, right? That's a great honor. What was his merit? That incident, that he protected the kids. Eov suffered a lot. On Eov, the Torah said, Why you complain? You're still alive. Who got a bigger punishment? Eov or Bilam? Technically. Bilam got stabbed and died. How long it takes to suffer when a person sticks a sword in your stomach? Boom. He sticks it. You feel heat, a little pain, heat. You become dizzy, two or three minutes later, you're dead. That's it. You don't feel anymore anything. So how long the suffering was? An hour? That's it. Years of suffering. Children are dying, losing all your wealth, all kinds of sicknesses. From the top of the pyramid, you became like a homeless on the street. That's a million times worse than to get stabbed. Get killed, finish. But the Torah said, Hashem said to Yov, why are you complaining? You are alive. What are we learning from here? That no matter how much suffering a person gets, he can imagine the suffering. Every second of his life, 40, 50, 60 years, it's still better than to die as a punishment, like young. Why? Because when you die, there's no chance to correct. When you suffer, two good things can happen. One, you wake up and get closer to Hashem. 
Second, as you are alive, all your sins are being erased. So no matter how you look at that, it's the greatest thing can happen. Right now you are suffering. But this suffering comes instead of suffering later for much longer time. So that's what we say in the Slichot. This verse, Ma'it onen, it onen means complain with pain. Complaining, oh, I can't, how much, how long. I hear it every day. I get phone calls from a lot of miserable people. I have to, half of my day go to cheer them up, that they don't kill themselves or they don't leave the religion. Why? Because they're already up to here with the suffering. But once they understand the meaning of the suffering, they get some energy to handle it. Person that doesn't believe that it's for his benefits, so he looks at that as bad luck. Bad luck, I better die. Bad luck, I better be a goy. Why do I need this? I'm religious and I'm suffering like this. So you have to explain to them the concept of suffering and show them the sources in the Torah for them to understand. So Hashem said, How can a living person complain? He doesn't understand how can it be. <laughs> Which means, what are you complaining? You are still alive. Which means, even though it seems that Bilam got a smaller punishment, Bilam went to hell. The real punishment comes right after. What's the punishment of Bilam? They put him in a pool of boiling seed, sperm, boiling seeds of all the sins of all the wicked people and he's burning inside. Why seed, semen, why? Because he was making sins with his own donkey. And that's a sin that even a Gentile is forbidden. See, a Gentile, his relation crimes is much smaller than the Jews. For instance, Vini met Christine in a pub, they can move in tonight and live together like a husband and wife. It's no problem, it's not a sin. They are not holy, their sperm is not considered holy, and they can be together in this. But even they, after all, the human being and the creation of Hashem, they still have limitations, they're not animal. Animal, they can do whatever they want in nature. Nobody holds them against them, right? If the lion got mixed with a, with a tiger, so it's not a sin for him. It's not going to be judged when he died. But the goyim has a judgment. One of the things, they're not allowed homosexuality. They're not allowed with animals. It's a death penalty. You understand? But certain things that the Jews are not allowed, they are allowed. But they're also not allowed inside the family with the six relative, with the, with the father, the mother, the daughter, the son. The sister, they're not allowed. It's all relatives, even a guy is not allowed. But to live in, they don't need to get married, they don't need to get divorced. Christine, you want to move with me? Let's move in. That's it, the husband and wife now. Tomorrow they say, let's break it up. Thank you, it was nice meeting you. He goes to his place, doesn't need to write anything, doesn't need to go to a priest. It's all a human invention. From Hashem, he doesn't care. The guy gets married, doesn't get married, it's no problem. They can move in together, do whatever they want, no problem. Unless, like I said, if they make crimes that they're not, they're, they're, they're not permitted. So, the Gemara says, there was a righteous Gentile, his name is Eov. No. And he did not come to the world. He came to the world to receive his reward. When Hashem brought all the suffering to him, he started complaining 
and I don't want to say cares, but speaking harsh to his fortune, which means to Hashem. Kafalo HaKadosh Baruch Hu is reward, Hashem doubled his reward to destroy him from the afterlife that he doesn't give him because he was complaining. He said, okay, you complain, no problem, let me pay you for what I owe you in this life and when the afterlife you don't have a share to the world to come. Then the Gemara continues, and at that day, the children of Hashem came to stand in front of him, the angels. Satan, and the Satan also came. And Hashem said to the Satan, where are you coming from? So he said, I'm coming from a tour around the world. And he said, Ribbono Olam, God, the master of universe, I searched in the entire world and I never found a faithful person to you like Abraham. Abraham is Avram Avinu, a very faithful servant. You told him, leave your place, walk to the land across, I will give it to you. And when the time came that he had to bury his wife, Sarah, even a piece of grave he couldn't find. He had to go buy it from the goyim, from Ephron. You told Abraham, every place you step will be yours. I'm giving you the whole, the whole area, right? And in the end, when he had to bury his wife, he had to go and find a place to buy a grave to bury his wife with top dollars. He paid 400 coins of gold, which is a lot of money. And he did not make a beep never even crossed his mind that you promised one thing and you did something else. This is what the Satan say. The Satan became a friend of Avraham Avinu. See, he can achieve this. If you're such a perfect person, even the Satan become your friend. In case you are wondering how can it be, I have news for you. The Zohar teaches a very big secret that when a righteous person died, Everyone is very nervous because everyone learned Torah and they know the trial is about to begin. Do you know a person that is going to stand in front of an honest, perfect judge and won't shake? Who? What person thinks I'm perfect, I have nothing to be worried about? Who knows what they find about me now? So every righteous person, to save him, to spare the torture of waiting for the verdict or for the beginning of the trial, I should say, the Satan comes to him and says, relax, my friend. Relax, Rabbi. I heard beyond the scene that Hashem is preparing a very good place for you in heaven. So all the pressure, the, the, the stress, goes down right away. Ah, we can breathe now. What is it like? You're about to go into the federal court in front of the cruelest judge. And then the assistant of the judge come to you and say, don't worry, the judge told me an hour ago that he reviewed your case, he's going to give you great compensation and set you free. So you don't worry anymore. Even though he's still worried, maybe he fooled you, I don't know, but over here it's real. It's the world of the truth. So, he says, Hashem answered the Satan, did you see Eov? He's talking about Abraham, and he's giving you an example from Yov. He said, 
There's nothing like him in the whole world. Who said that Hashem, God forbid, is prejudiced or anything? Here, the Satan is coming to speak about Avraham Avinu, and Hashem said to him, there's one Goy, which is the most righteous person in the world. Iov, his name. Iov, en You cannot find in the entire world a person like him, honest and decent like him. Go and check, pay him a visit. The Gemara say, what was so great about this Eov? There are a lot of righteous people. What Hashem was holding very highly of him. So he says he was very generous with his money. Spreading his money to people, not stingy. The way of the world is that a person gives half a coin to the owner of the store, the chenvani, someone who's in charge of a supermarket, whatever, or a restaurant. And, you know, he gives it to him. And Yov, uh, everyone, when you go with few people, everyone pays for his meal. Yov always pays for everyone from his money. He doesn't let anybody pay. No big deal. We have plenty of people like this today here. I know people, no matter who goes with them to the restaurant, they won't let them pay. They're rich. They figure, who knows, this guy have money, doesn't have money. Big deal, I pay extra $100 in a meal. You know, it's very rich, it's nothing for him. Is that makes him the most important person in the world? Vayomer Hashem el satan Hashem say to the Satan, Asamta libcha alavdi Yov, did you pay attention to my servant Yov? Vatasitehu bo levolo chinam, keadam, amar Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan says, if the Torah wouldn't say it, nobody would have the guts to even imagine such a thing. But since it's written, it's written. We have permission to say it. What is it? It's God forbid it describes Hashem like an image that you can make him change his mind easily. Like he say, Hashem, why did you do this? You should do this. And he say, oh, you're right, it's a good idea. Let me do this, come on. Turning you to do something that you didn't plan to do. But since Hashem wrote it, Hashem said, okay. You, the Satan asked Hashem permission to go test Eov. Why Hashem agree? Hashem should say to the Satan, sit and be quiet. Who, who do you think you are? You're telling me, you're giving me advice. I, I pay this EO of his reward, and you want to go now and make him a test? It's not your job. I am the one who sends you on a mission. You know, it's, what is it like? Like in Israel, you have something called Otsa'a Lapoal. You know what Otsa'a Lapoal? Execution, but not life and death. They, when, they, when you win a case in a court, Reuven Su Shimon, and won the case in court. In the United States, winning in a court usually gives you nothing. Why? You call the Shimon and say, okay, the judge say you have to pay me $100,000. I don't have, I can't pay you right now. What can you do? There's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. You want the case and they have no way to collect. The best you can do is hire a lawyer, pay him a lot of money to make an investigation what assets this Shimon has. If you find a house on his name, then you can put a lien on the house. 
But even if you put a lien on a house, if Shimon is a crook and he doesn't want to pay you, he would keep the house another 30 years by him and he won't pay you. He won't pay you. Putting a lien on his house, you have to renew it every year, which costs you money. And there's no guarantee you'll be able to collect. That's why I always say the land of all the crooks. Everything, everything here is made, I don't know if it's by crooks or by just foolish people. One of the two, you decide. But in Israel, it's not like this. If the judge made you win the case, the judge give you X amount of days to pay. You don't pay, they transfer the file to something called Otsala Poal. It's like special cups. And these cups come and make your life Gehenom, hell, right now, not afterlife, right now. They come in, if you have a couch, they take the couch. You have a laundry machine, they take it. You have a table, they take it. You have chairs, whatever you have, your glasses over there, they take everything. Then they come two weeks later, no, where, where's the money? Until you pay what you owe, you understand? So that's called Motsim Lapoal, Otsal Lapoal. If you enter an apartment and you don't want to leave the place, and he goes to court and he proves that you don't belong there, once they win, they come and they get you out forcefully. They're not waiting for you to agree to leave. The tricks that people do here, you don't have over there. Not that it's perfect over there. It's far from being perfect, far. But on certain things, there's more logic. You cannot always go towards the weak people automatically and make them do whatever they want just because they're more poor or, or, the, or that they won't have a place to live. It doesn't work that way. You don't force a rich person to pay for someone he doesn't know just because he's a crook and he doesn't want to get out of the apartment. That's not justice. Nowhere in the world it says that the poor people have permission to cheat the rich people and steal their money with the protection of the court and the police. Well, what kind of nonsense is this? That's not the way the world should be. The world should, should be on justice. Now the judge can ask the rich person, would you be kind to give him two more weeks to find a place? Or would you have mercy on him to give him a discount after you won the case? Let's see, owe you $10,000. But I see a situation. I give you an advice, maybe you give him 50% off. The judge can ask, but he cannot force you. But in America, trust me, give up the money that he owe you, I'll get him leave tomorrow. Force you. And what if you say to the judge, no, you owe me a rent. What do you mean, give up? Trust me, it's better for you that way. I mean, I've seen it in my own eyes. Reach an agreement outside and come back to me in 10 minutes. But he already hinted to you that if you're not going to take his advice, he will make him there another two, three months until he finds you know, So you really have no choice. That's not justice. So anyway, why am I telling you this? So the Satan is the executor. Hashem gives him a note and says, go take the soul of this person. Go burn the house of this person. Go take the children of this person and do whatever you have to do. He gets instruction, he pick, he pick up the note. Mr. X, the son of Y, 255 Fifth Avenue, no problem. When? Tomorrow, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, how to take his soul out? Everything is written. Burning, stoning, storm, earthquake, gunshots. Okay, the Satan knows and he executes. 
Now the Satan comes to Hashem, hey, I have an idea. Let, give me permission, I want to attack this righteous person. <laughs> what is this? This is what the Gemara asks. And Hashem said, no problem. I give you permission, but I don't give you permission to take his soul out. I know you're craving. It's very hard for you not to take the soul out. So you will, you will do anything you want to him in one condition, that you cannot take his soul out. So what is it like? It's like taking a, 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 I don't know, like a cat to watch a barrel of milk or, or honey, whatever. You can do anything, but you cannot touch the inside. It's like a horrible feeling. So Hashem said to Malach Hamavet, you're in charge of his life. You have to keep his soul in. Watch his soul inside. Then when Yof started to suffer, this is what he said. Maybe it was a big storm in the world. And because of that, you forgot the difference between the word Yof to Oyev. What's Iov, what's Oyev? Iov, it's his name. Aleph, Yud, Vav, Bet. What's Oyev? Aleph, Vav, Yud, Bet. The same letters. Just the Yud and the Vav is in a different order. Aleph, right? Yud, Vav, Bet, that's Iov. Aleph, Vav, Yud, Bet. The Vav and the Yud switch, but it's the same four letters. Hashem. Maybe you mix between the word Iov and Oyev. What's Oyev in English means? Enemy. And you mixed me with your enemies. I'm your lover. I'm not your enemy. Why are you sending me all these tragedies? That's the, that's the complaint here. Vayan Hashem et Iov. Listen, it's beautiful. This dialogue between Hashem and Iov can teach us a lot about life. Vayan Hashem et Iov. He say, a storm? You are asking me, maybe it's a hurricane in the world. I got confused. I had to watch the creation. So by mistake, I forgot who is really Yov. This is what you're saying. I created lots of hair in the body of the human being. In the head, in the hands, in the legs, in the back, in the stomach. The body is full of hair. And each hair, I created a separate well for that hair to suck the energy that it needs to survive. If you ever look, take a magnifying glass and look at all the hairs on your hand. You see that each hair comes from a hole. It's a hole. The root is inside, like putting a tree inside the water, a wet ground. You put the roots, you put it right in the water, because always water coming there. Huh? Poor. Poor? Poor. Poor. That's the name of it? How do you spell it? P-O-R-E. P-O-R-E. Poor, it's the hole. Okay. So every hair has a pore that, you, that he gets this energy from it. Now the hair, it's like a hose. A hose is water going inside, right? Which means it's covered from the outside, but it's empty in the inside. No, so... If a person grow long hair, like by the women, it's very common. In the beginning, the closer it is to the root, the healthier the hair is. The, the far away from the root, it's starting to change the color, 
and it turns, it goes up, and it's burned. If it's black here, it becomes brown in the bottom, and you see that the hair is dead. Up to here, the hair is very healthy. From here on, it's not healthy. Why? Because the energy that goes inside the pipe, that's what we call hair, it goes in and in and in. It reaches a certain point, it doesn't go forward anymore. Which means from now on, the air doesn't receive food, doesn't receive the energy. So up, up to now, it gets the energy. From now on, it dies. That's why it's very good to cut the hair every once in a while, because the more you cut, the more you give strength to this energy who comes out of the pore, which is like oil. The hair is becoming oily, you feel it. This is the secret of the hair of the person. But Hashem says, you will never find the two hairs coming from the same pore. Never. Why? If something like this would happen, it would make the person blind immediately. What's the connection between two hairs coming from the same pore on my hand to my eyes? Don't ask me, ask the manufacturer of the human being. He knows the secret. It's like Toyota tells you, listen, make sure you never take this, this little fuse here, make sure you never take it out. You look at that, it's a little tiny wire. It's, come on, what's this tiny one? What can happen? So, no, it's gonna knock out your computer and the car will shut off, the wheel will get locked, and you can go into a horrible accident. From this little tiny thing, oh, a screw in the F-16, it's one screw. Tell you, if you take this screw out, 50 million, 50 million, 50 million dollar machine is finished on a price of one penny, screw, little tiny screw. You take it out, the entire system move, boom, that, shorts, problem. This is the way the world is. So Hashem said, if two hairs would come out of the same pore, that would be the end of the vision of that person, it would be blind. So between one pore to another, of all the people in the world, which is trillions, in the body of one person, probably there's more than a million pores like this. Multiply by how many people? I never ever made mistakes, and not one time a person lost his eye vision because I mixed between one to the other. And you thinking that I'm able to make mistake because there was a storm, and I mixed between Yov and Oyev, Yov. Then he says like this. Arbeti pin barati ba'avin. Hashem gives him another example. I made unlimited amount of drops in the clouds. The clouds hold millions or billions of gallons of water. Clouds is amazing how the clouds hold all this water. If you weigh the amount of water that are holding in the air, in these clouds that nobody understands how to explain such a thing. It's not like it's a swimming pool, you fill it up, so the pool is holding the water. But even a pool, there's a limit to how much weight it can take. Eventually, if it's too much weight, it will collapse. Like everything else, a bridge, you know. So it says like this, it says, so many trillions of billions of trillions of, uh, of, of drops I created. And when the rain starts, they're all falling. And I make sure not one of them touch the other on the way down to the ground. It will never happen. 
No drop that falls from their clouds will ever touch the sister that comes from the same cloud or from a different cloud in the air. They're falling. If there's wind, both of them move to the left. If it's wind, they both of them move to the right. But it will never happen that one would move and touch the other one when they, and they collide in the air. I control trillions of drops. You worry about your name and the, and the enemy that it switched between Eov to an enemy. What would happen if one drop touched the other? The ground will never be able to ever give fruit. If it eats the ground, it would mess up the whole world. From here we get an idea, first of all, about the supervision of Hashem, but even better about the secrets of the creation, that one tiny thing like this can destroy all the human nature. Think about it, no fruit, which means no wheat, nothing is growing, no food for the animals, the animals died, nothing to eat, no bread, no meat, no nothing, no vegetables, nothing to eat. What do you do? How many years you can live by drinking water from the, from the lake? There's nothing to eat. Eventually, after a few years, the food in the world will be ending. And this has all happened because one drop of rain touched the other. <laughs> Big deal. The world is very sophisticated. Then, he says, Hashem, Many different kinds of noises I made. Sometimes we hear thunders. For us, there's no different. Thunders in Miami, same thing like the thunders in New York, same thing like the thunderstorm in Israel. You hear an explosion and that's it. Not one is similar to the other. They all have different uh, decibel, what do you call it? Different... Not nutritional value. We're talking thunder, thunder, noise, the thunders. Decimals, right? Decimals. Yeah, so all of them, each one of them come from a different source. All of them are created with a different source. If they would come, two noises come from the same source, it will destroy the entire world immediately. And I'm watching it all the time that it will never happen. And you think I'm going to mix between Yov and Oyev? Then there is an animal, it's called Yael. Yael Asela. Looks like deer a little bit. They're going, they're living in the mountains, in the deserts. This animal is very cruel to her babies. Once it gives birth, usually a, a person gives birth. Right away, the woman is attached to her baby. The, hu the husband, the wife, normal people, that's the way they are. This animal, when it begins to give birth, goes up to the top of the, of the mountain, to the cliff, that the baby will fall from the cliff and die immediately. That's the nature of this animal. And what do I always do? From the beginning of the world until now, I made sure there is always going to be an eagle in the area. Whenever this animal has to give birth, the eagle is flying in circles. Just when the baby is starting to fall, comes the eagle, grab the baby and bring him safely down to the ground. 
If he would come one second earlier, Eagle cannot stand in the air. It's not a helicopter. It can stand in the air. He always has to be on a move. If he comes one second, the timing, he, he passed a second before. He passed and the baby fell. Oh, he come one second later. Miad <laughs> met, that baby dies right away. I never mixed a second, ever. And you think I mix between Eov and Oyev? Cholel Ayala, Tishmor Ayala Zo. How do you say Ayala in English? Ayala, Ail, Ayala. Hard words. Comes also from the dear family. Rachma Tsar. The wound of that animal is very narrow, more than other. When it comes to give birth, the female, I bring a special snake. And the snake sting the wound of that ayala, of that animal. And from the pain, from the sharp pain of the pain, the muscles that shrink the wound expand for a second. And in that second, the baby fall down. If the snake would come a second earlier, because it's contraction now. Now it's the time to give birth. It's like a doctor. If the doctor will show up to the delivery room an hour later or an hour earlier, an hour earlier, he's going to read his newspaper and get angry that you called him from his house. But an hour later, maybe too late already. You don't need him anymore. But over here, it's a matter of seconds. If that snake would come a second earlier and he sting one second before the time, it would mess up the giving birth, not helping. It would make it worse, because the baby is not ready. It would open and close, and now the baby is supposed to come, and the baby, who knows what's going to happen. Or he come a second later, there would be the end of that life of that baby. And you think that I mix between Eov and Oyev? The Gemara says, now, moving to a different subject. So conclusion, Eov was one of the prophets, six or seven prophets of the Goim. Six of them is agreed by everyone. One of them, Brachiel, Abuzi. It's a question if he was a Jew or not. Conclusion, the Gemara say was a Jew. The reason that they put him in a category of the seven Gentile prophets because all his prophecies was only for the goyim. He went to the goyim, he preached by the goyim, therefore you don't count him as the 48, uh, 48 uh, uh, prophets that we had in Judaism. Few of them were women, you know. But Miriam, uh, Dvorah, some of them were females, but most of them male, but you don't put them in the same category. Now you have to know there were much more than 48 uh, uh, prophets. Why the Gemara only count 48? Because the Gemara only count prophets that gave a prophecy for generations, like Isaiah, Cheskel, prophets that only came to give a message to this particular town, and that's it, and they never affected history besides a warning. They don't count them as a major prophet. It's a one-time prophecy, once or twice. It's not in a list. But prophets who gave real, real prophecies, not only you know them, they are inside the Tanakh. There's a part of the Tanakh. Now, 
It's a very shocking story. Listen good. One man heard his wife speaking to her daughter. He say, when you make your sins, make sure you hide. Do what you want to do, but make sure nobody sees you. Here, you see the 10 sons that I have only one of them is the son of your father. All the other nine is from different fathers, and your, and your father doesn't even know about it. You gotta be clever like me. How they say in America, do whatever you want, just make sure not to get caught. Why they say it? Because they forgot that there is an eye who watch over you, and an ear who listens to you, and everything you do has been registered in the book of God. When Hashem is not in your life, then you live in illusion. Make sure you, jo you just don't get caught. And, the, and they said, oh, look at this mafia guy. 20 years the police is after him, and they couldn't find one thing against him, so now they're giving him parking tickets. They're towing his car. They try to get him as much as they can. Now they, I don't know, they found him making a U-turn in a place, the judge giving him, I don't know, 30 days in prison. Now, nobody else will get it. Why? Everyone knows he's a murderer, but there's no proofs. This can only work here. <laughs> it comes to Hashem. But he goes, no, it wasn't me. You mix me between Yov and Oyev. Hashem, it wasn't me. Someone who looks like me. So she has 10 sons, only one from the... F now the man is hearing it. She doesn't know he's listening. Kishachiv, when he became sick, is about to die any minute. Amar lahu, he said to the people around him, Kol nechasai lechad bra. All my wealth goes to my son, not my sons, because they have only one son. So they say, Rabbi, which son? He died. Died. Now all of them standing over there, what kind of father is this? He couldn't say name. How are we going to know which one? Now, technically, there is really no way to share the wealth because we don't know who to give it to. Cannot give somebody that he may not, maybe he didn't mean this one. You know, there was a story in Israel of a, a man that his wife died and he had one son with her. True story. And then what happened is he got remarried to another woman and had a few more children. And the wife, the new wife, was a wicked woman, and she deprived his son from his first marriage. She was always pushing him out of the family. She didn't want him to come in holidays. So he really was an orphan, not only from his mother, also from his father, because the father was afraid of her. He's a real witch, and the father is afraid to invite him, all these things. So this little boy, he grew up on miserable, lonely. One day, he became very sick, so he's in a hospital. Any day he's going to die. And the boy is coming to visit his father, and she doesn't let him in. She put a guard, and the guard said, no one is allowed to go in. He's in a critical condition. The doctors do not allow. And then she goes inside. She says, see what kind of son you have? He knows I send him three times someone to tell him that you're very sick. He said, I don't care. I don't want to see him. Make sure that now you call the lawyer and erased his name from the will. And she got the lawyer, the lawyer came, and he, you know, he was afraid of her. 
So, so he erased his name from the wheel. The way he designed the wheel, he wrote the, in the wheel, he wrote in the wheel as, as a new text, and then he died. When the lawyer opened the envelope in front of everyone, he found out they left, he left him out. Now he knew his father was not going to do something like this to him. It's his only son from the first marriage. So he went to Rav Henkin. Rav Henkin lived in Lower East Side. In Lower East Side, there were two giants, Rav Moshe Feinstein and Rav Henkin. Rav Henkin, if you remember, once I told the story that he told his children, make sure you don't take my body to Israel when I die. Bury me here. Why? It's not fair. If you do it, then all the other people will be forced to take their parents and pay thousands of dollars, and every year they have to fly to the yard side. Fortune. Why to make you suffer? Leave me here, that you can come to my grave paying subway, $1.50. You can come to my yard side. I don't have to pay $2,000 to go to Israel every year, right? So he was always thinking about the other. So this boy came to Rav Henkin, and he, he told him, Rabbi, maybe you have a way to help me. I have to go to court. I have to sue to try. How can it be? I'm suing. I'm trying to prove to the judge that that's not really what my father meant. So what he did, he, he reviewed the will, and he said, no problem. I'll come to protect you in court. I'll try. So I went to court. And uh, when he got to the court, he said to the judge, I know that the father was acting under pressure from this woman. And he never had any intention to cut his son out of the will. And why? Because he wrote in the will, after 120 when I died, I would like to share all my money between the, the widow and her children. And he did not mention the son. What do you mean after 120? He was 75 dying when he wrote the will. He knew he has a day or two to live. Why did he write in the will after 120? There was a hint that you cannot divide the money until he will be 120 years old, which would mean never. If my son doesn't get, nobody will get. And then he took out wills of many other rabbis, and he showed the judge that in Judaism nobody writes after 120. Nobody. Say, so here, look, all the wheels, that's not the way of the Torah. Here you can see that there's an int here. And the judge realized. And the judge said, you're right, I accept your, your proof. And we won't, we won't be able to divide these things. So the will will stay by the lawyer until both sides will reach an agreement. As long as they don't reach an agreement, the money will stay there forever. Boom, goodbye. Now they went crazy. So right away they said, no, your honor, of course, we're willing to give him something. Okay, go outside to discuss. So they went outside. They agreed to give him a third. So okay, I'm one boy, there are many. I'll get a third, they get two thirds, fine, it's very good. So he agreed. So he comes back with a lawyer and Rav Henkin. And the judge, which I believe was the goy bechlal, the judge, when the judge saw that they offered the third, the judge said, no, I don't accept this agreement. Two thirds to the boy and one third to the whole family. And if you talk one more word, I will reconsider to give him everything. And he said, okay, we're accepting it. And he got two thirds of the money. The, the clever Rav Inkin, Allah Shalom, the holy man, 
fine. It was smart to go to the right man, but just to show you how it works. So now he hears that the wife telling her, I have one. So he said, all my money is to my son. Figure out who is my son. He knows they're going to go to Bedin, and the rabbis are very smart. They figure it out. So now they all went to Bedin, and they said, our father did this, and we don't know what to do. So the judges say, the rabbis, please take a stick and go tomorrow morning to his grave, each one of you, and stand by the grave and hit his grave and tell him, shame on you. Why did you leave us with a question mark like this to fight for your money? And they started to hit the grave. They said, come, do it tomorrow, and then come back to me the next day, and we'll see where we're taking it. So they all went to the grave, and they started to hit the grave. No, the next day, they come back to the Beidin. So the judge said to the first one, did you do what I said? Yes, your honor, what? I went yesterday to the grave, and I hit his grave, and I say, shame on you. Look what you did to us. What kind of father you are. Exactly what you told us. So one by one, then one of them say, did you go to the grave? He said, no, your honor. I, my heart didn't let me bang on my father's grave. Uh, when I'm thinking just about the thought that I'm going to have to bang on my father's grave and say, shame on you, I say, you know what? Forget about the money. I don't want it. The judge, the rabbi say, all the money is yours. A real father cannot hit on his father's grave. A real Jew, a real son of God cannot spit in his face. Cannot be secular. Cannot be a criminal. Cannot be mechalel Shabbat. Cannot be a thief. Cannot be who knows what. Cannot. A real one? A boy can put his hand in his father's pocket and steal money from there? What kind of boy is this? It's despicable, isn't it? Oh, it's still from others. It's a sin. But from his own father, come on, there's a limit. Even big thieves won't do this. Even the thieves supposedly have a, a red line that they won't cross. Legmara continue. Rabbi Anai, Rabbi Anai is a judge in Bed Din. He's a Dayan. And he has a tree, and the branches are going to the public street. He has a wall. You know, trees are expanding. So now, lots of the tree goes to the street. <coughs> What's the problem? Today, it's not a problem. Because people walk. Or if they have a car, they drive on a road. But in the old days, people walk with camels. And a camel is very tall. And you don't realize, boom, it hits your face. Why? The camel is very high, <laughs> the branch. It was a burden on a horse. It's very dangerous. So the people didn't like that the branches are coming. So everybody had to cut his tree that he won't go to the public area. Your trees should be in your own land, not in a public area when people riding. So Rabbi Anai had a tree like this. One person came to him to sue his friend that he has a, a tree that comes out to the street. The people of the, of the, that pass every day on that road gather together. They do a class action now against the owner of the tree, that the tree dis disturbed them every day when they ride on that road. So one of them stood on the road. Excuse me, stand right here. This, this, this tree bother you every day? Yeah, of course. It's a pin in the neck. Stand right here. 
he gathered 20 people, they went to the Bedin. Excuse me, rabbis, we have a problem. Every day we ride on that day, it's, uh, it's risking our life. So they sent him an invitation quickly to come to the court. And he came to the court, and uh, after Rabbi Yanai heard the story, he told him, I cannot give you my verdict. Please come back tomorrow, and I will answer who won the case. The next day, he came back to the court, and he said, OK, now I can answer. You must cut your tree. They write, you have to go and cut the tree. So he told him, Rabbi, I was waiting for you to say that. You have a tree like this in your house. You didn't cut your tree. So yes, I did. <laughs> when the rabbi saw that the people are suing him, he got the point. Not only preaching to others. First, let me correct myself quickly. He ran home at night. All night was chopping the trees. That when he's going to make the right verdict, he's going to be first clean. Not like the judges today, the biggest crooks, the biggest thieves. And they yell about the little thief. Shame on you. You stole $100 from the store. Shame on you when he stole $100 million already. He gives him a lesson. Don't you know you're not allowed to steal? It's in the Ten Commandments. And everything he does in his life is cheating and stealing. <laughs> so he asked him, OK, OK, you got me, the guy said. But until now, you had the tree. So you see that. I had a reason. So he told him, the only reason I never cut my trees because I saw workers coming and sitting under the, sh the shed, the shed of the tree. Every day they sit and eat their lunch under my tree, protects them from the sun. You know, the sun in Israel is a killer. So it's 100, 110 degrees. So I see how they specially come and sit under my tree, enjoy their lunch. I felt great that with my, my property, Every day, kindness is done. But now when I realize that it bothers other people, so what's the point? I benefit 20 people and 200 are suffering. So I cut it. This is the difference between an honest dayan to all the crooks that we have today, Hashem irachem. Then, Rabbi Yochanan gave a speech. עתיד הקדוש, הקדוש ברוך הוא להביא אבנים טובות ומרגליות. השם will bring great rubies and emeralds 30 by 30. 30 אמות, אמה, it's half a meter. Two אמות is three feet. So 30 by 30, it's like 40 feet by 40 feet. Big, huge rocks. You know, one little tiny ruby today, I held in my hand two, three weeks ago, one pink ruby, 10 carat, $2,055,000. Imagine rocks like this, like the size of the Western world. There's no price for it. Trillions of dollars it would be. No, where are they today? How come nobody found them, these rocks that the Gemara speaks about? It says, Hashem will bring, now maybe, maybe I'm exaggerating. The Gemara says, Shloshim al Shloshim. It could be Amot, it could be Tfachim. Probably Tfachim. Either way, it's a lot. Tfachim, Tefach, it's this, like six inches. Third, it's like 180 inches by 180. It's still a big rock, no? Okay. So, 
So it says like this, Umamidam b'sha'arei Yerushalayim. Up to now, the walls of Jerusalem was from a Jerusalem stone. How much it cost? $200 a rock. $100, big deal. No, now it's going to be from the top jewels. Beautiful jewels. So one student, learning in his yeshiva, started to laugh. <laughs> this rabbi lives in illusion. Shem's gonna bring rubies, emerald, whatever. So he laughed. He laughed to himself, not in public. One day, he was sailing in his boat in the middle of the ocean. And he saw, he got to a place, and he saw that there are angels are cutting with swords beautiful shining rocks emerald, rubies, beautiful, expensive, precious stones. And exactly they cutting it 30 by 30. And he remember this Shur Gemara. And they chakuk baim eser berum esrim. They make cuts in it, beautiful shapes. He asked them, now remember, this student was a giant. How do I know? I can assure you that if you take all the rabbis in the world combined today, cannot reach the level of the student. Forget Rabbi Yochanan, that's for sure. How do I know? Do you know any rabbi that speaks to the angels and they answer him? Show me one like this today. Don't have. This student saw the angels are preparing the rocks, and the Gemara say, he asked them, Mahani, what's this? He said, we're preparing it for the future to put them in the gate of Jerusalem. So he was shocked. Wow, the rabbi was speaking about it. I thought he's hallucinating. Ran, quickly, he ran to the yeshiva the next day. And he said to Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi, you are the one. You are the one who deserves to be a preacher which means there's a lot of speakers, but you are the one. <laughs> so Rabbi Yochanan told, he looked at him, he said, as you said, that's how I saw it. So he said to him, tell me, you fool, if you would not have seen, you had doubts in what I said. you disrespecting the speeches of the rabbis. They teach from the Torah and you have doubts. The Gemara say he looked at him such a look and that person died immediately. We don't have people like this. And maybe it's good that we don't have. <laughs> Just 15, 20 years ago, we had the father of Rav Chaim Kanievsky. Rav Chaim Kanievsky is one of, uh, I would say, the top three rabbis in the world, according to all opinions. The, almost every Jew in Israel and out of Israel makes sure at least once in his life to pay a visit to his place to get an advice and a bracha. Very holy man. And also very, very knowledgeable. In every topic in the Torah is knowledgeable. There are some rabbis that they are giant in a specific field. This is his specialty. All the laws of slaughterings, animal, you want to ask questions about this? Go to Rav Mahfoud. He's an expert in this. You want to go ask about interest? 
You have questions about businesses, interest, bank account, partnership, joint venture, go to Rav Moshe Zilberberg. He's a top expert to science. You want, uh, you want to you ask about stock markets, stocks, companies, investment, go to Rav Silvan, Silman, Silman in Yerushalayim. I saw him once, I went with someone there. You want to, but there are some rabbis who are experts in every territory. And like you have Rav Ovalia, Rav Eliashiv, Rav Chaim Kanievsky, any book you pull, they, they went over it. So I don't know how they did it in the 70, 80 years or 90 years that they live. Mamash a miracle. And Rav Chaim Kanievsky is one of them. But Rav Chaim Kanievsky, compared to his father, the stipler, it's already a different league. Because his father, everyone who went to see him made sure to put the hat down on his forehead because he was looking at the person's forehead and he knew everything about him. And he wasn't politically correct. See, if it would happen to me, I know this guy is Rasha, but I'm not gonna start shouting at him. I pretend to get rid, I, I, I hope to get rid of him as fast as possible in a nice way, not to, not to hurt his feeling. But he was 100% the truth, no games, no pretending started to shoot, shout at people, they became ice, these people. So everybody knew, make sure you hide your sins, Why? <laughs> so he can see, this was his father. Now imagine Rabbi Yochanan. His father looked at you, he had Ruach HaKodesh, uh, the stipler had Ruach HaKodesh without a doubt. I saw in my eyes, in my own eyes, a person that has Ruach HaKodesh. It's like we say, Bedidi Ava Uvda. I was involved with this. When was that? About 13 or 14 years ago. I only started to give lectures 16 years ago. So maybe I was one year speaking to very small groups. No internet, no recordings, no CDs, no nothing. Go, I speak to seven people. That's it. The only seven people know who I am. Tomorrow or the next week. 13 people, so now 20 people know of me. Next week, another two lectures. Now, Baruch Hashem, after a month of work, 50 people know who is this guy who gave us the proofs about the Torah. And then after a year, maybe a thousand people, after a year. Everything was very tiny in the first year. And I went with one rabbi that wanted his son to put a fill in in Lakewood. And he asked me if I can drive them. He doesn't drive. And I heard that he wants to take me to the biggest yeshiva in America, Lakewood, 5,000 learners there. And the mashgiach at that time was Rav Nathan Vuchtfolgel, the mashgiach, Zecher Tzadik Livracha, which at that time I believe was close to 100 years old, 90-something years old, close to a very old man, you see, very old. You see, he looks like 100. You can tell when a person is 80 or when he's 100, you can tell. My job was, to be the cameraman. Since I drove, bring your video camera. It's, an, it's, a, it's a great thing that first time my son puts tefillin, it's a great memory that this big tzaddik will put the tefillin for him and give him a bracha. No. So I drove there. Now he told me, make sure you stand with the camera outside. This kind of rabbis, they don't like that you come and feel them like it's in a zoo, you know, come you zoo the chimpanzee. They don't like, it's not respect. Stand very far and zoom as much as you can. But don't come in like this in front of him that he won't see that you're filming. 
So as he told me, I'm standing outside. Then, as he put the tefillin, very slow, everything very slow until he moves this. It took maybe 15 minutes just to put the tefillin. By the time he, he almost finished put the tefillin, he looks at me, <laughs> face to face. You know, I, I got nervous. I thought, wow, he, he caught me filming. Then there was one guy for me. This guy in the meantime died. He's not alive anymore. Another rabbi that used to live in Lakewood. He arranged that meeting. So that guy, I saw that the old rabbi is going like this. I say, for sure, he doesn't call me. I hope he probably call him. So this guy went to him. We started to see they speak in Yiddish. I don't understand any way Yiddish. They speak about 30 seconds in Yiddish. And then the guy, the guy came back out. I said, what happened? He was complaining about the camera? He said, no. So I said, so what did he say? He said, he saw on you that you have a special power to affect people. And he told me, who's, he asked me, who are you? So I told him, you're a student. You're learning in yeshiva, and you drove, you drove them here. So he looked at you and said, this person can convince a lot of people. Like he saw this, he, he was a very old man. He's not busy with me. I'm standing outside. He looked at me, and he know he already saw in the future things. In my own eyes, I saw Wachakol. Usually, you read about it in the books. In my own eyes, I saw that he was able to tell. And then later, everything started. You know, more and bigger and bigger. But he saw it. And in the books, many people testified that they saw that he has Ruach Hakodesh. Rav Ben Zion Abba Shaul, every one of his students swear on his life that they saw all the time that he had a vision, he had Ruach HaKonesh. But this is it. So Rabbi Yochanan looked at him, he became Gal Atzamot, a pile of stones, crushed to pieces with his holiness. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan say in the future, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will make special Chupa, how do you say chupa in English? You know, in a wedding, you cover the husband and wife. Canopies. canopies, great. Seven canopies. Everyone according to his spiritual level. Some people would have a gray, lousy, with holes canopy. Some people would have a canopy of very special cashmere. Very nice, fancy, handmade. Not made in China. Made in Paris, no? Made in, I don't know where, England, whatever. So it says, Amar every person who is jealous with the Talmud Chacham Ba'olam not jealous, not jealous, I wish I would be smart like him. That's good. If you see a big Rav, ah, I wish I was like him in Torah, that's mitzvah to be jealous with him. Good. It's called kinat sofrim tarbe chokhmah. Not jealous. Tsar ayin. You know what tsar ayin? Wish him bad. You see someone who knows a lot of Torah, speak Lashon Ara about him to ruin his reputation. Someone like this, his eyes will be full of smoke in the next world. With smoke. The smoke of the gas chambers of Auschwitz, of the eternal Auschwitz in Gehenom, in hell. That's what it means. That reminds me that this world has, most people are good in general. 
כן, we make mistake, we have יצר הרע. Most people are really good, but there are some people are extremely bad. And they have no fear for Hashem. Like yesterday someone calls me up, he says, you know, someone told me about me that a big rabbi put you in harem, in isolation, a few years ago. About me. So he's spreading the rumor around. You should be careful, you should do something about it. I say the people who make up lies and go behind your scene, how you know where they go and what they say? You have to follow them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, when he spoke, who did he speak, and the person he told that lie made it and told it to five other people. When it comes to something like this, you have only one thing you can do. Just pray to Hashem, and Hashem will do the right thing in the right time. There's really nothing you can do. You can start a war, you answer back, this. But I told him, just tell the person who told you that, that I will give him my house as a gift if he will find a note like this. I told him, do you understand what does it mean to put a person in harem? In the last 60 years since Israel became a state, you can count on one or two hands how many people in general were ever put in harem. In order for the Beit Din to put a person in harem, first they make an internal investigation, what is it about? They have to call the person, he has to come and testify, he has the right to protect himself, he brings his own witnesses. And once to a million rumors, the Beit Din will have the guts to actually make a note. Usually the only way they make it, if this person is a professional crook who goes every day and hit another victim or um, a molester of women, or things like this, that this is really a big threat, then they would recommend to turn him into the police. They would rather this than to sign with their own names that they put this person and his family in isolation. It's really never happened. Even if you show them proofs against a very wicked person, until they agree to sign, it's a process that may take months or years, and usually it never happens. Now, the people don't know it. They don't know it that in, in order for you to put a person in isolation, the Bedin have three judges, or the chief rabbi of the generation has to sign on it. And the first thing that they do is they go to all the shuls, all the places, especially where this person lives, and they come to the rabbi of the community or to the yeshiva where he learns, and they put the notes over there in the shuls, in the supermarket, because they want to warn all the people to stay away from this guy because he's in isolation, like he's a, like leprosy. You know, you put him in a special camp for a week, that's called to put a person in a harem. Like I say, it never happened. On top of everything, that there was no reason whatsoever for something like this ever happened. Now, what happened to a person like this? The smoke is a picnic compared to the punishment that Hashem will give him. Why? Because when you speak Lashon Ara about a person that has a business, and because of you, he loses business. He was supposed to make $30,000 business this month. You told someone that is a crook and it's a lie, and he told it to five, which told it to 50, which told it to 500. 500 customers left him. The rest didn't want to believe. They were honest people. They say, I'm not believing rumors. Show me a letter. You say something that is a crook, show me a verdict from a Jewish court that they convicted him on being a crook. Or there is a proof. Just because someone made a rumor, it could be his competitor. I don't buy the garbage that I hear. I want solid proof. 
no solid proof is 100% clean for me, that person. This is the right approach. But not everybody thinks right. So you caused him to lose. From $30,000, his business went down to 20. Every month you are guilty of $10,000 damage. One day you die, Hashem will make you burn a lot for the $10,000. But eventually you will finish, because it's only money. You finish, you paid, oh, Baruch Hashem, I finished my payments. I can now go and get my rewards for the good things I did. Well, when you come to speak against a person who made who knows how many people religious and constantly is doing it, and speaking to thousands of people every year and making them closer to the Torah and become Shomre Shabbat and convince them to get filin and to put mezuzot, to put their children from public school to yeshiva. So many things that this person does. Even, even if it was true that you saw him once or twice doing something wrong, you would have to think a billion times before you publish it. A billion times. Why? Because you can ruin his reputation. Fine, so the people would now don't want to hear him anymore. They put an X on him. It will be such a chain reaction that when you're going to ever pay for all the tshuva you prevented, could be an, an 20,000 Jews that went to Gehenom because of your rumor that you made up, because you're jealous with this person. Or whatever the reason is that you made up a lie. Where are you going to pay for it? It's them, it's the children, grandchildren. So that despicable human being that made this rumor, for whatever reason, who knows who it is? I have a suspicion who it is, but whatever. Hashem knows who it is. When it comes to Shamayim, no matter what mitzvot he kept, there's never going to be enough for the damage he makes. Because we don't even know how many people this lie affecting. You make up a lie about a person, it can be a, 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 an effect on his family, on his children, on their shiduchim. Who knows how many bad things can be born from that rumor and that lie. That's why, that's why Lashon Ara is a killer. It's not... But remember, Lashon arise that when you say the truth, not when you make up a lie like this that ne doesn't even close by 1% to the reality. Never happen, and Baruch Hashem will never happen. But this is how dirty people can be. That's why they compare someone who speaks Lashon Ara to the snake. He's in the ground, like a coward, and then when you come, you don't see, he comes for a second, sting you, and go right back in. What else? What benefits the snake had that he poisoned you and killed you? Maybe a lion, the Gemara said, the lion is banging you with his head, you fall, and then he attack or, or bite the neck. The lion benefits from his killing. He eats. He's full for two days now. He has what to eat. So he killed you because he wanted to eat. He has nothing personally against you. But stabbing a person for no reason, just because you're jealous with him, or you will wish to do what he does, or even 1% of what he does. So you go around and spread a rumor against him. It's, no, it's unbearable. There's no words to describe such stupidity for a person. And it can happen to us. We have to beg to Hashem that we won't fall into this politic. Believe me, you have no idea how many people made false lies about others, and they travel and travel. And these people in history, nobody until this day knows the truth. Only when Mashiach comes, many people will be so surprised when they see, wow, it was all a lie? 
How can it be? 50 people signed and it's the truth. How can it be? You never know. Believe me, it's all, usually all these rumors come, you hear a little thing and you add a lot to it and your friend add a lot and the other one add a lot. So after five years, a little tiny incident of $5 already became $5 million. You heard what he did? He stole $5 million. Well, no, I was there, it was only $5. And there was a life risk. He needed it. And then tomorrow he came and gave it back. You don't hear the whole story. Ten years later, you hear, you hear this guy? Stay away from him. Why? I'm telling you, he was involved in a robbery. He broke into a bank with a Uzi machine gun. He stole $5 million. And in reality, you come to Shamaim. The poor guy took $5 from the box of the synagogue. And the next day, he put back $5. And that's all he did. And now you murdered him. You made him the biggest criminal. How dangerous, how dangerous it could be. So this is it. You make rumors, and people, instead of teaching Torah, they have to go around and say, no, it's a lie. Tell them to prove. Where do they have a document? It never happened, all these lies. Anyway, we move on. We finish here, because time is running out. Uh, but this is it. This is what the Gemara says. Enav tsarot betalmit chacham. Talmid chacham in our generation it's not what it used to be. Used to be Talmid Chacham means someone that any question you ask him, right away he knows the answer. He doesn't need two hours to look for it. You ask him about Nida, he knows all the halachot. You ask him about Kashrut, he knows everything. You ask him Shabbat, he knows everything. That's, that was a Talmid Chacham. All his life learning Torah and knows the answer to every question. We don't have that many like this in the world today. You can count on one or two hands how many left. Today, a Talmid Chacham is every local rabbi who teach the community Torah and bring them closer to Hashem, teach them even from the books. Yes, he's not Chacham Ovadia, he's not the Rambam, but he's a leader of a group. According to the Torah, even if you learn two laws, two halachot from another Jew, he's already your rabbi. He's not a Talmid Chacham, he's a local guy from the shul who read from the book. But he taught you two laws you didn't know, two halachot, already you have to give him respect like he's your chief rabbi. Well, what do I have with him? I heard two halachot by him, I have to respect him now all my life as a, as a rabbi to me. And if he made you religious, if you were a goy and he took you and made you a human being, made you shomer shabbat, made you keep mitzvot, opened you a share to the world to come, there's no words to describe how much you owe him. There's no words. Well, when you give him everything you have, it won't be a peanut compared to what you owe him. And not only you don't do anything for him, you, went, you ended up going and speaking behind his back and making lies and rumors. What kind of world it can be? This is it. So that's what, that's what Rabbi Yochanan says. Some, someone like this, his eyes will be full of smoke in Olam Abba. Meleot Ashan. What does it mean, Chupa? What's the connection now between the canopy to the smoke of the jealous people, the evil people? What's now, why it's been said together? The answer is, but in Olam Abba, every tzaddik has his canopy. And there are unlimited levels, unlimited. Not two people can be in exact same level. No matter what, any Jew you compare to yourself, if you are in the level 200, he will not be in exact same level like you. He can be a little above you, can be below you. 
it's impossible that two people live 60, 70, 80 years, and in the same of the 80 years, they have exact same scoring. Impossible. It's trillions of transactions, they will never fall on the same number. It's impossible. So that means one little dot above your friend, it's already a whole different world. The difference between one level to the next one above and to the next one above, between one level to the other, the people are so burned with sorrow and pain that they, they see someone above them, they get burned from the bottom of his canopy. This is a metaphoric. This is to teach us one more mitzvah, I would be by him. One more mitzvah, I would be in this level. And the person doesn't forgive himself. Not to talk about the people who are on the top of the pyramid. <laughs> look where they are and look where I am. So that's called, Everyone is, I'm here and I'm getting burned from the bottom of the canopy of the person who are above me. It's only metaphoric, which means the person that is higher than me in heaven, the spiritual pleasure he gets compared to mine, it kills me. I should have been there, but I'm not. This is it for us to wake up. The Gemara says, The sages that lived in the generation of Moshe Rabbeinu, this is what they say, Moshe the face of Moshe Rabbeinu is lighting like the sun. The Torah say that Moshe came down from the mountain, nobody could look in his face. The light, the energy of God came out of his face. Karnu panav. Karen or means a shining light. Nobody could look, everyone looked down. Why? The holiness, speaking to God and you want to stay the same. But already Yoshua Benun, that was his servant, was his student. Everything Moshe did, Yoshua saw. Yoshua was humbled, was righteous. He knew a lot of Torah. He was the right-hand man of Moshe. His face is like the moon, not like the sun. Big different moon and the sun, if you know. Big difference. The moon doesn't have his own light, it's only a mirror. The sun is reflecting on the, on the moon. And what you see, the moon is shining, is really nothing. It's a projector who lights a dark wall. Now the wall looks like light, like a source of light. It's really no light in the moon. The moon is like earth, no light. Just reflect back to us as a white fluorescent neon light, whatever. But that's already a big difference between the sun and the moon. Also on the size, also on the temperature, on the heat, no matter how you look at that. Oy to that embarrassment. Oy to that shame. Oy, oy. What oy? A little bit less and look at the difference already. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, When a person goes to the next world, there's also Jerusalem there spiritual Jerusalem, and there's nothing like the Jerusalem of this place. You won't see Arabs there, that's for sure. You won't see Jews with earrings and telephone driving on Shabbat to a soccer game. In that Jerusalem, you don't see that. Over here, you can see all kinds of things. Jerusalem, 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 
Jerusalem of this world, everyone who wants to enter, enter. But Jerusalem, the Jerusalem, it's only VIP invitations over there. <laughs> I want to go in. Stay out, you loser. You don't belong here. Don't make the place stink. Stay where you are. Now, anyone, a, a, a Maharishi from India, five minutes after he kissed the feet of Buddha and drank the pee of his cow, he now comes to Jerusalem and walks next to the Western Wall like this. Nobody stops him. Nobody arrests this one. Hey, you, you're not embarrassed to walk here in a holy place. We saw what you did yesterday. You advertised it in the internet. He can come and do it. Huh? Nobody, a Hamas terrorist murderer walks in the holy land of Jerusalem. Nobody stops him. Many criminal Jews walk in Jerusalem. The soccer player, they play in Jerusalem. A lot of noise they make. Nobody stops them. No, you can do whatever you want. But the Jerusalem of heaven, my friend, yeah, you need a big merit to be able to enter there. That's it. I think it's enough for today. I'll give you a preview of next week. And next week we're speaking about the mother of Avraham Avinu, Amtalai Batkarnevo, the mother of Haman, names of people that you don't see them in the Torah, secrets, a lot of interesting secrets. Also, intuition of the soul, what the, what the conscious person cannot see, the soul feels. Very interesting topic. Also, the influence on society, on a person, giving examples from history, how people join the righteous and people who join the wicked, what was their end. Uh, someone who has somebody sick in his house, how to get cured fast. And many, many, many interesting things of uh, Rabbi Yochanan, who knew the language of the angels and the animals. A lot of interesting things next week, I can see already. Don't miss it, 8.30 sharp. You saw today, 8.30 sharp, I started. All the lectures now are 8.30. From 8.30 to 10, I stole 10 minutes extra today, but thank you very much. Thank you.